But for the next 21 days, we are calling the church to a corporate fast. And we are calling the church to fast something, preferably food, and I'll talk about more why that is in a moment. And instead of eating, what you're going to do is you're going to fill that space, that time where you usually would be eating, with prayer. What we're going to do is we are going to starve the flesh so that we can feed the Spirit. We are going to deliberately experience hunger in one area of our life so we can explore an entirely new level of hunger for God. And last week we looked at the importance of rhythms. We looked at the rhythm of walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. As Paul said to the Galatians, when we walk by the Spirit, we do not carry out the desires of our flesh. And that is how we follow Jesus. That is how we spiritually grow. It is this two-step process of fixing our eyes on the things above, walking by the Spirit, but also at the same time, putting to death the things that are below, crucifying the desires of our flesh. This is how we follow Jesus. This is what we, we mean by spiritual growth, walking by the Spirit. But here, last week, we were given the what of spiritual growth, walking by the Spirit. But we aren't really given the how. How do we walk by the Spirit? How do we not carry out the desires of our flesh? And the answer is the how is through spiritual practices or disciplines or rhythms or whatever term you want to use. They're all interchangeable. But how we walk by the Spirit is through the spiritual disciplines and how we crucify these desires is by engaging our minds, our bodies, our souls, our spirits through the same spiritual practices that followers of Jesus have been engaging in for for thousands of years. And today we want to look at what I think is one of the most important spiritual practices, but at the same time may just be the most neglected spiritual practice, at least in our age. And that is the spiritual practice of fasting. My first experience with fasting came as a 16-year-old. And my church youth group was doing something called a 40-hour famine. 40-hour famine was a way of just engaging us students uh, in the practice of fasting. And we were doing it to sort of support a good cause and remember and bring awareness to those around the world who do not have access to food like we did. And the fast was set up to accommodate, you know, a teenager's willpower. Meaning for 40 hours we were to fast, but the fast began right before we went to bed. So the first kind of few hours of the fast, you were sleeping, so it wasn't very hard. And the goal was to wake up, go to school on a Friday, come back home. You would spend the whole night with your youth group, you know, pull an all-nighter, and then you'd break the fast with a pancake breakfast. And, you know, I started out that day with good intentions. But when I got home from school, you know, like a 16-year-old teenager would, I was pretty hungry. And nobody was home. Nobody was around. And so I secretly decided to make two giant sandwiches. Because I was hoping that these two giant sandwiches would tie me over until pancake breakfast. And so I did it. I made these two giant sandwiches. I ate them and I cleaned everything up so nobody would knew uh, that I had cheated on this fast. And uh, the problem was, though, is that I made one tiny little mistake. I left the mayonnaise knife in the sink with mayonnaise still on it. And the only mistake I made was the knife. And my parents 
found the knife and confronted me on this, and I lied and said that mayonnaise is not technically a food, and so, you know, it was, I, I thought of it more as a liquid, and so I was just eating mayonnaise out of a jar, I told them. Uh, and they still believe me to this day that I was eating mayonnaise and not two giant sandwiches. While fasting has recently been embraced by our culture as a, a way of achieving physical health, it has never really been embraced by our culture as a way of achieving spiritual health. And that makes sense when you look and consider that the spiritual practice of fasting goes pretty much against everything we believe in as a culture. That as a culture, we have this one fundamental freedom. And that freedom is the freedom of self-gratification. That is, do what makes you feel good. That is your right, and that is your freedom. And as long as it doesn't infringe on somebody else's right to gratify themselves, I mean, go for it. Do it. And what lies at the heart of this self-gratifying culture is a love for food. In fact, I might even be able to suggest that you can draw a correlation between our culture's love for food and our culture's love to gratify the other sinful desires which gratify our flesh. It's not that there's anything wrong with food or loving food. You know, you don't have to starve yourself to follow Jesus. Amen? In fact, I think God made you and I just the way we are with taste buds and everything. You know, God created this world to be enjoyed, and everything that he created he has given to us as, as a way of enjoyment. We know that Jesus' return for his church is symbolized in the Bible as being a banquet, a feast, a celebration. As Christians, we gather around a sometimes a literal table and sometimes a metaphorical table, but that is how, you know, Jesus designed the church to be around a a table celebrating a meal together in fellowship. But here in our modern world, it's not that we just love food. We are obsessed with food. I mean, we eat three meals a day, and heaven forbid if we miss one meal. And if we miss lunch, we are starving. We have these endless food delivery services, which barely make us not even have to leave our couch to get our favorite dish. In 2019, the average American, and we're using American stats because it's just more readily available, uh, but the average American in 2019 spent $3,500 in just fast food, and it's estimated that the average family spends $1,500 in food that is just thrown away in the garbage. That's just leftover, wasted, uh, spoiled food we just throw away. We also have a very unhealthy relationship with food as a culture, that we have certain food addictions. On, on one side, we have an epidemic of obesity, and gluttony, and on the other hand, there are other eating disorders uh, of an unhealthy relationship with food, such as anorexia or, or bulimia. And our unhealthy relationship with food, it is symbolic of so much of what we talked about last week. That is, carrying out the desires of our flesh. And in so many ways, our bodies have become our masters. That our bodies have more power and authority over us than we would like to admit. Where we are ruled by a, a Freudian psychological principle known as the pleasure principle. That is the instinctive seeking of pleasure and avoidance of pain to satisfy our biological and psychological needs. I mean, how many times do you choose what is pleasurable in the short term knowing that it is going to reap damage in the long term? Uh, for example, spicy dill pickle chips or double desserts. 
or coffee before bed. And how many of you know that what is often not pleasurable in the short term are the things that reap the greatest long-term, the greatest benefits in the long term? As John Mark Comer, pastor in, uh, in Portland, Oregon, says, as long as we run our life on this pleasure principle, we will never mature into the person who has the capacity to enjoy life as God intended it. The good news today is that you don't need to run home today and throw out all the good food in your pantry. But this is where the importance of fasting needs to come into focus for us as followers of Jesus. You see, fasting is a spiritual practice that goes against everything that we've just said. And for that reason, there may be nothing that is more counter-cultural than the spiritual practice of fasting. Well, what is fasting? Well, fasting is simply giving up something we love for someone we love even more. It is starving the desires of our flesh, which, flesh with, which interfere with the desires of God's spirits. And by you and I engaging in this discipline, or engaging in a spiritual fast, we are declaring before God that our hunger for Him is more important to us than our hunger for anything else in this world. I've often heard the question of why fasting food is necessary and why we just can't fast other things like red wine or coffee or our cell phones. Well, the answer to that might be that giving up things like red wine and, and a coffee and our cell phones isn't necessarily a spiritual fast. It's called being an adult. And, you know, giving up red wine and coffee is maybe because we're too addicted. We have an unhealthy relationship. And maybe we just are on our phones too much. And we just simply need to get off our phones. You know, these things aren't necessarily a spiritual fast as much as it's just part of growing up, I'd say. Now, if God is calling you specifically to give up those things, hear me today, don't neglect what I just said. Give up those things if God is calling you to give up things on your phone or, or s- a specific food that you are eating, whatever it may be. If God's calling you to do that, do it. But don't fast other things because you are afraid of the difficulty or the uncomfortability with giving up food. I want you to see today why food is at the heart of what we fast and why we fast. And it's why whenever anyone in the the Bible fasted, it wasn't dessert, it wasn't Netflix, it was food. And the reason why we fast food has to do with how God has made you and I as human beings. Let's begin at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 to 7. These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. At the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. But mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. Now to understand what is happening here, we need to have some familiarity with what is being said in the original language, because there's a a play on words happening here. That is the word man, or human in the Hebrew language, which means Adam. That's where we also get the English name Adam, 
while it is in Hebrew, it is not a name or a person, but the term, the word Adam is a, a title. It means man or it means human. And so what the text is saying here is that the Adam was made from the Adama, which means earth or dust. So literally, the first human is being made from the dust or from the earth. God tells Adam later in Genesis 3, from dust you are and dust you shall return. But at the same time, we also read that this man who was made from the earth or dust has the very breath of God in his lungs. That God breathed his life. That word breath in the Hebrew is ruach, which is translated for spirit. God breathed his spirit into man, into human. And by breathing life into us, in his breath in our lungs, that is what makes you and I a living being. And so as humans, we are on one hand dust, but on the same hand, we are also spirits. There is a physicality to us, but there is also a a spirituality. It's why an animal has a body, but not a spirit, and an angel has a spirit, but not a body. But you and I, we have both body and spirit. It's what makes humans the most unique and sacred part of all of God's creation. Now, there's so much that we can unpack here, which we don't have time for, but we need to know as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as people, as humans, we're not just a bunch of cells, you know, clumps of cells and organic matter. And neither are we at the same time just a body that has a shell, and that when we die, we shed that shell. Uh, That's Gnosticism. That's not the gospel. And we escape the body when we die, and that's the purpose of life, just to escape the body. No, you have a body, but you are so much more than a body. And it's why spiritual practices, which we're going to be unpacking over the next few weeks, are so critical, are so important to our spiritual growth. Because they're not just involving your your spirit, they're involving all of who you are, your body, your mind, your soul, your spirits. But let's read on in Genesis, in the Genesis story, Genesis 3, 1 to 6. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So we see here the woman sees that the food of the tree is both delightful and desirable. It is pleasing to the eye, and it is good for eating. Now here's a thought experiment for you. What if original sin was the inability of humans to not eat something that was in front of them? Adam and Eve were tempted by a servant, and that temptation was not to eat something, but it was through the eating of that food to trust both the human, their, both their human instincts and the serpent's vision for their life, rather than trust the conviction of God's spirit and to trust God's plan and vision for their life. And what if that temptation was not only their temptation, but it was the same temptation of every person that has ever walked this earth, including you and I? 
And if that means that every person who's ever walked this earth has been tempted with this temptation to trust not in God's vision for your life, but the serpent's vision, to trust in your own instincts and not the Spirit's conviction, does that include Jesus because he walked this earth? Well, we will see as it, yes, it does. Jesus was fully human, meaning he too had an appetite. He had fleshly desires because he was fully human. He was tempted with certain things. And I know for one thing, Jesus loved to eat. He was known for associating uh, at parties. He liked to celebrate. You know, he'd share about the kingdom of God, and he'd use the language of food and banquets and agriculture. But we know that Jesus fasted, and he didn't just fast. He fasted regularly. For example, one time when Jesus was in Samaria, after the, the encounter he had with the woman at the well, we know the story about water and living water and the woman's uh, husband or lack of it and the different men she was associated with, that the disciples, the reason why Jesus is there alone with that woman at the well is because the disciples had gone out looking for food. And when they come back, they urge Jesus to eat. They say, please eat. We brought back food. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. And they're confused. Like, well, where did he get his food? You know, they're thinking in the flesh. They're thinking physically, what, what food does he have? And Jesus responds in John 4, 3, 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So we see Jesus is clearly feeding on, on something and it is not physical food. It is not food. Jesus is being fed in a different sort of way, in a more of a spiritual manner. But there's one instance when Jesus fasted that I want to look at, and that is after he was baptized in the Jordan River, Luke chapter 4, 1 to 4. Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. No kidding. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man not live on bread alone. Does this story sound familiar to you at all? Does it sound like the garden story 2.0? We're told Jesus is intentionally, on purpose, for a reason, sent to the wilderness so that he could be tempted by the devil. And what is he tempted with? Well, the temptation, the first temptation the, the devil brings him is what? It is bread. Turn that stone into bread. But it's not really about bread, really, if you know what I mean. You know, the temptation of bread is about something even more. And that is while Adam and Eve were given over to the desires of the flesh, here we have another man, this time a, a perfect man, a man fully human but also fully God. And now this time he's the one facing the tempter. And the tempter is tempting him to do the exact same thing Adam and Eve failed to do. Except this time, unlike Adam and Eve who failed, Jesus succeeds. And unlike you and I, who over and over again, we fall short, we fail, we give ourselves over to our fleshly desires, we allow our bodies to rule over us, we fail, but we know today that Jesus succeeds. And the good news today is that for all of us who have failed, who have fallen short, there is a way that you and I, we can succeed, we can say no, we can choose God's voice and not Satan's voice, and that is through Christ and Christ alone. 
That is through Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so how we succeed, how we walk according to the Spirit, how we don't carry out the desires of our flesh is through Christ, and it is also by following after Christ. And what do we see Jesus doing the moment he was victorious over the devil? He was fasting. We naturally assume that by not eating for 40 days that Jesus was tempted by the enemy at his very lowest point. That he was at his weakest. And if there was ever a moment for the enemy to tempt Jesus spiritually and get him to succumb to a temptation, it was that moment. And I'm certain that Satan thought that as well. But the question is, what if Jesus being led by the spirits to give up food for 40 days in exchange for prayer and intimacy with the Father, to have an empty belly but a full spirit, the moment Jesus wasn't at his lowest point, but that was actually the moment when Jesus was at his strongest, spiritually speaking. There's no question that after fasting, Jesus was weak physically, but he was at that moment at the same time undoubtedly strong spiritually. And I wonder if the enemy has learned his lesson. The lesson that the time to attack followers of Jesus is not when our bellies are empty, but our spirits are full. But the time to attack, the time to come after the followers of Jesus, the children of God, is the times when our bellies are full, but our spirits are empty. And the scary reality is that for many Christians today, with all these modern conveniences, rare are our bodies ever hungry. Rare do we ever experience hunger. And I mean, we might think we're hungry. Maybe some of your bellies are grumbling. You haven't had breakfast, and you're like, I'm starving. But truthfully, it's just your brain playing tricks on you, isn't it? That if you miss a meal, your brain has this powerful ability to tell you, if I don't eat something, I'm going to (laughs) die. But really, you just missed a meal, and you haven't missed a meal in weeks, and it's just your body playing tricks on you. You know, we struggle to know the difference between hunger and appetite because most of our needs are always being met, are constantly always being met. I remember Julia, my wife, coming to Canada asking, why don't you, as Christians, ever fast here in Canada? You know, the fasting was a normal part of their culture, of their Christian culture. And I remember her saying, perhaps the reason why you don't fast is because you think you don't have any needs. That if you thought you had the needs, you would fast, but you don't fast because you don't think you have any needs. We don't think we have any needs, but our greatest need is not the satisfaction and fullness of our physical bodies, but the greatest need you and I have on this earth is the satisfaction and the fullness of our spiritual bodies. You see, rare is our hunger because our bodies are always being fed, but if our bodies are never, ever hungry, chances are good that at the same time when our bodies are satisfied, our spirits are starving. So instead of feeding the flesh, fasting is doing the opposite of what our bodies naturally desire. That is, and our naturally want, that is starving the flesh of earthly bread so we can feed our spirits with with a heavenly bread, with a spiritual bread. So then the question that we must leave ourselves with then is then how do we do it? How do we fast? I hope by now we can, we've established and maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. I don't know that why we fast food, not fast food, but fast food if you, okay, bad joke, bad joke. How do we engage in this spiritual practice? How do we do this? 
Let me give you a few reasons why today before we close. Number one, check. First thing, before you fast, check your motives. Check your hearts. Before you fast, ask yourself, why am I doing this? You know, while fasting has become a trendy diet or a, a kind of a way of living in our culture today, we must remember that a spiritual fast, the purpose is never to lose a few pounds. You know, oh, I can get close to God and shed some weight. No, 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 that's not why we fast. Fasting is not to show off. F fasting, our motive for fasting is very, very important to God. Zechariah 7, 4-5 says, Then the word of the Lord of armies came to me. Ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and lamented in the fifth and in the seventh months for these 70 years, did you really fast for me? How, was a qu how about that question? 70 years. 70 years you fasted, two months out of the year. And at the end of those 70 years, God's like, was that really for me? Fasting was something, it was a regular part of Jewish worship. And we know that by the time, the days of Jesus, Jesus expected his followers, his disciples to engage in this practice. In fact, on the Sermon on the Mount, he says those words, when you fast, not if you fast. When you fast. You see, in that day, fasting, something had happened. It had no longer was the communal act of repentance and intercession it once was, but it had shifted over time to become an opportunity for self-promotion. And it's why we see Jesus give such specific teaching on the how the disciples were to engage in the act of fasting. Because if their motive for fasting was anything other than God, well, Jesus said, you have received your reward in full. And we are not doing this to receive an earthly reward. We are fasting to receive a heavenly reward. And so we don't want to do this and get to the end. And because we were not doing this for God or our motives were not healthy, that we was already received our reward. So first, check your motives. Number two, know what you're fasting for. So the big why, check your motives. The little why is what are you fasting for? And this is where the blue cards come in. And we're going to close today with a song. And I want you to really just to pray and ask God, even right now, begin to say, God, what specifically are you calling me to fast? And not just to fast like food or whatever, but what spiritual reason are you calling me to fast? There are so many reasons we can fast. Fasting can be reactive. But it also can be proactive. In fact, when you look at the Bible, most of the times people fasted in the Bible, it was a reactive reason. Fasting was being engaged by an individual or a community as a result of something that happened, an event, a situation. It could be good, it could be godly, it could be deadly. Something happened and as a result, they fasted. A good way of knowing when it is time to respond by fasting is when there is pain in your life. I mean, nobody wants to experience pain. But pain has a purpose, doesn't it? Pain serves a purpose. And pain often will tell us when something is not right. You know, Rick Warren, pastor in California, says, we don't change when we see the light, but when we feel the heat. <laughs> I like that. You know, feeling the heat can often be a sign that something is not right, and it requires God's intervention or breakthrough in your life. And when you fast, when you, as you react with a, a fast, it is a sign to God that you are serious about change. That you are desperate for his intervention and breakthrough. So we fast when there's a decision that before us that requires maybe one of three things. God's intervention, God's 
guidance or God's clarity. Maybe you need God to break through in a certain situation or a moment. Maybe you need God to guide you. Maybe there's doors, several doors you can walk through, and you need God to, like, what door to walk through or what decision to make. Maybe it's clarity. Something's unclear. You just need God to make something clear. John Thompson gives us some other examples. Fast when facing important decisions. Fast in response to crisis. We know that Queen Esther, she fasted when she heard the, the incoming crisis of, for her people. Fast as a natural response to sin and as evidence of repentance. We learn in the book of Jonah that God can relent for, from disaster. He can, he can turn from pending judgment. So fast as a response to sin. Fast as a weapon of spiritual warfare. Jesus said that there are some deliverance that only come through prayer and fasting. Disciples couldn't cast a demon out. They couldn't do it. And Jesus said, some, sometimes, some types of deliverance only come through prayer and fasting. You need to fast. You need to pray. Fast as a response to a profound encounter with Jesus. When Saul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, it says that afterwards he did not eat and drink for three days. So just as the fasting is done reactive, I believe fasting should also be done proactively. So not just done out of a spiritual desire, but out of a spiritual discipline. Richard Foster says this. He says, The stomach is like a spoiled child. And a spoiled child does not need indulgence. It needs discipline. I think one of the best ways to develop this practice of fasting is just regularly schedule it into your calendar. Just like you do your work meetings. Just like you do your, you know, your kids' sports, sporting events. Schedule in a fast. Monthly, yearly, weekly, whatever it may be. So, We've established the big why. We've established or we are going to establish the little why. Here, let me just share a few quick little thoughts here. Number three, fasting community. Now, I know Jesus taught often about fasting in secret, and some have been confused around the idea of what a public or corporate fast means in light of this act being instructed to be done in secret. Well, out of the 16 mentions of fasting in New Testament, half are done in community and public. And of all the Old Testament fasts in the Bible, they were always done in community. And the reason why I encourage you to fast in community is that many of us in our modern day culture, we have never fasted before. We have very little experience with fasting. And so we should do it in community, not just because we'll have accountability of community, but we'll also have the grace if we fail. We'll have the encouragements when we, when we fall down. We'll have the cheering to, uh, to start off where you left off. Because a lot of times what happens is we fail on day three and we just think, what's the point? Remember, God doesn't look at the performance. It's not the performance that matters. It's the heart, right? It's the heart. It's not about perfection. It's about the heart. So if you fail, just get back up and, and, and restart. Number four, pray. Now, this obviously should be at the very top of the list, but we're going in chronological order here. But why prayer is so important during the fa act of fasting is because fasting is not just abstaining, right? It's not just what we're giving up. It's what we do in the place. It's not just starving the flesh. It's feeding the spirits. And we can't just starve the flesh and leave it at that. We need to go to God in prayer. We need to commune with Him. So just as food feeds the flesh, so does prayer feed the spirits. And the power of fasting doesn't lie in the acts of fasting. The power lies in Jesus, the one whom we seek in place of what we eat. 
Number five, pay attention to the flesh. Another reason why I think food is so important is because, man, nothing will surface your fleshly desires faster or more clearly than when your stomach is hungry. How many of you remember those Snickers commercials? You know, the person who's a monster, and it's like, just eat a Snickers bar, because why? You're not you when you're hungry. Well, I think the Bible tells us quite the opposite. No, that is you when you're hungry. I hate to break it to you, but that's you. On all the ugliness that this surfaces, man, oh man, the stomach can reveal those things. So what we do when we fast is we pray, but pay attention. Pay attention to what comes up. Take it, I encourage you, take a journal, keep a journal, write down those things. Oh, I saw pride, or I saw lust, or I saw I, I saw a, some hangry, some hangriness there. I don't know what it is. Write it down, and when you go to the Lord in prayer, bring those things to the Lord in prayer. Bring them, surrender them to Him, acknowledge them, confess them, uh, ask Him to deliver you. Pay attention. And then uh, six, finally, we'll close with this. After you fast, celebrate. Celebrate. Because there's a time for fasting as followers of Jesus, but there's also a time for feasting. Matthew 9, 14 to 15 says, Then John's disciples came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. And as followers of Jesus, there's pretty much a guarantee there will be moments in this life when you and I will need to fast or a fast will be required. But I want to encourage you today, sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. You might be needing to fast. There might be pain in your life. There might be something that you need to step into, and it might be difficult. It might be hard. Sorrow may last for the night. Joy comes in the morning. God will deliver you. He will bring you through it. And I want you to know that fasting is giving up something we love for someone we love even more, but that someone we love did not give up his life for us on a cross, did not usher in a kingdom that he described to us as a kingdom of abundance, a kingdom of celebration for us, to live our lives as doom and gloom Christians. Jesus came to bring us eternal life, but also abundant life. And our king is alive today. Our king is alive. He reigns. And he is with us right now. And so there will be times to fast and be sad. But there will be times when we are called to feast and to be happy and to celebrate. So when you fast, when you break that fast, celebrate. Rejoice. I mean, look at what you just accomplished. Look at what you just did. The discipline you acquired. We rejoice in not in our performance. We rejoice in the grace of God. We rejoice in who God is, not who we are and what we've done. So let's just now at this time, let's just stand to our feet. And uh, feel free to grab those blue cards with you in front of you. And let's just pray. And then we are going to uh, sing one more song. But what we're going to do is as we sing, or even if you've done it already, just write down. Not write down uh, what you're fasting for, like both the, the spiritual reason and maybe what you are going to fast. I don't know. Whatever it may be. And at the very back, you'll see a nice little house because we're building, you know, building the house. That's our theme this year. And you can just drop that blue card into the house on your way out this morning. And we're just going to bring these needs to the Lord over the next few weeks. So let's pray. God, we've, there's been a lot of ground we've covered this morning. 
And Lord, uh, I think most of all, Lord, I want to begin just with a uh, prayer of repentance, Lord, knowing that being formed by this culture means we are often consumers, and we love to consume, and we love to satisfy our, our fleshly desires. And not all of that's bad, God, but Lord, we don't want to be a people formed by this world. We want to be a people formed by the spirits, led by the spirits. And God, we look at this practice that can seem daunting on the surface, that can be really hard in the, in, in the moment. But God, ultimately we know that if, if it wasn't fruitful, if it wasn't for our good, if it didn't have benefits for this life, God, you wouldn't give it to us. You wouldn't call us to it. And so, no, God, I know that because you're calling us to it, Lord, there are reasons that we cannot see, Lord, but we trust and have faith, God, that if you've called us to it, Lord, there's a purpose and there's a reason. And Lord, we want to we wanna fast food over the next 21 weeks. God is a symbol of what food represents. That's not specifically food that's the problem. It's the desires of our flesh that wage war within us. And oftentimes our unhealthy relationship with food can often be symbolic of just an unhealthy relationship we have with the desires of our flesh. So it is our desire, Lord, of these next 21 days to discipline our flesh, to starve our flesh so that our spirits can commune with you. We can feed our spirits. Help us, Lord. I pray, pray that you give us clarity on, on the reasons for why we are being called to fast. Lord, maybe it's just discipline. Maybe the specific reason of why you're calling to fast is I just want you to cultivate the discipline. I want you to prepare your life uh, so that fasting is a regular part of discipleship. Maybe there's a reason that's very specific and very momentary. A need, a door, a breakthrough, uh, a question mark. God, I pray that we would just respond today with that, that act of fasting, that discipline of fasting. But Lord, ultimately, we know this is not about our performance. It's not about what we can do, God. It's about what you can do. It's about what you can do. It's about what you have done. It's about what you're doing and what you are still yet to do. God, that is why we fast. That is why we pray. And so, Lord, over the next 21 days, Lord, guide us, lead us, direct us, strengthen us, Lord. And when we fall down, and I'm sure there will be times where we fail, Lord, show us, Lord, your grace so that we have the courage to get back up and keep going, God. It's not about perfection these next 21 days. It's about seeking your presence. Lord, you look at the heart. You don't look at the outward appearances of the fast. You look at the heart, God. So we commit all this to you. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>